0: Hey, y'all, Seth Bradley here. Thank you so much for tuning in and spending your valuable time learning with us. Absolutely appreciate each and every one of you. I've got a small ask. If you'd please just take a few seconds and leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening from, it goes a long way in landing the best new guests for our show. That's it. Thanks again. Let's go.
1: This is the Passive Income Attorney Podcast. Where you'll discover the secrets and strategies of the ultra wealthy on how they build streams of passive income to give them the freedom we all want attorney seth bradley will help you end the cycle of trading your time for money so you can make money while you sleep start living the good life on your own terms now here's your host seth bradley
0: what's going on law nation welcome to the newest episode of the passive income attorney podcast I hope you're having a fantastic week and that you're getting after it, you're achieving your goals, and you are working towards success, whatever that looks like for you. Today's guest is David Garofalo. He served as Chief Executive Officer, President and Chairman of the Board of Directors of Gold Royalty since August of 2020. He's got over 30 years of experience in the natural resources sector, and he is an expert among experts. And you'll see in this interview that, man, he knows his stuff. We're going to take a deep dive into precious metals and how you can get started investing in such. All right, folks, without further ado, let's jump in. David, what's going on, brother? Welcome to the show.
2: Thanks for having me on, Seth. I'm delighted to be here.
0: Absolutely, man. Absolutely. We're going to get into a lot of interesting things today. But first, let's jump into a little bit about your story, your background, take it back as far as you'd like.
2: Well, I'm a mining guy. Uh, I've been in the mining business for close to 35 years, developing and operating mines, both in the precious metal universe, but also base metals. Uh, I've run uh, some of the largest base and precious metal companies in the world. Uh, Most recently, Gold Corp, which I merged with Newmont back in 2019 to create the world's biggest gold company by market cap and production, a $32 billion merger. And since then, I founded Gold Royalty Corp, which I listed on the NYC back in March of 2021. And Gold Royalty Corp owns royalties on 216 mines and mine projects across the Americas and continues to grow that portfolio, diversify it, and has the highest growth rate and revenue in the royalty sector in the world.
0: Interesting, interesting. How did you get started with that? Um, That's not, you know, one of the traditional um, pathways that you learn about in elementary school.
2: Well, I actually started out as a CPA back in the 1980s. I worked with Deloitte's uh, in Toronto and uh, kind of uh, edged my way into the mining business almost by accident in a very junior accounting position, but got involved in the construction of mines from a very early stage and young age and got involved in the commercial elements of mine construction. And that afforded me an opportunity to learn the business from the ground up. Um, And then I worked my way up the organization and worked with four uh, mining companies in my career over 30 years uh, and having run both a base and precious metal company over the last decade or so.
0: Gotcha. Gotcha. Well, let's start kind of from the ground up here. I mean, you had mentioned base metals and precious metals.
2: Maybe explain the difference there. Sure. Precious metals traditionally include gold and silver. Um, and gold is really more of a currency than it is a commodity. Whereas, you know, copper and zinc, which are used uh, industrially, uh, copper uh, quite significantly um, in uh, the electrical electric grid, and cars and whatnot, zinc used for galvanization of steel. Those are base metals, Uh, those are commodities as well. They have a very liquid market, many buyers and sellers. So it's very easy to get a a quoted price on on base metals. And I'd say it's the same for gold. It's a very deep market, quite liquid with a significant number of buyers and sellers. So quite easy to get a quoted price for gold. Uh, So I've been traditionally in in more liquid commodities. uh, But uh, having built mines that actually produce both metals, uh, many deposits actually are polymetallic in nature and contain all of those metals.
0: Gotcha, gotcha. Where are these mines located? Is this all over the world? Is this based in the US or where are we looking?
2: Sure. Gold Royalty Corp uh, owns precious metal royalties on mines throughout the Americas with a significant concentration in three principal uh, states and provinces, Nevada, Quebec and Ontario. Uh, Nevada, Quebec, and Ontario are traditional precious metal producing states and provinces um, have been doing so for well over 100 years with a very mature system for getting permits, uh, great schools for producing the engineers, geologists, and the metallurgists we need to build and operate these mines, and more importantly has uh, a legal framework that makes it conducive to getting mines built and operated. And uh, it's these three jurisdictions in particular are judged among the top five jurisdictions in the world for mineral potential, low political risk and low regulatory risk. So by design, we have a heavy concentration of our royalties in those three principal jurisdictions. But we own royalties throughout the Americas.
0: Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. How does, um, how does one get involved? Like if you wanted to, you know, a lot of our listeners are investors and they're interested in investing in alternative assets. You know, we've had folks talking about precious metals on the show um, before. Definitely not like yourself, different, different aspect. Um, but how would someone get involved? Um,
2: specifically with a company like, like your own? Well, we're listed on the NYC American under this trading symbol okay. Roy. G-R-O-Y. We also have some warrants uh, that trade on the NYC American. Same trading symbol with the W-S suffix at the end. So if you're looking for a bit more torque, uh, we do the work for you. Uh, we have a strong technical team collectively within our board of management. We have 400 years of mining industry experience. So we actually go out and do the due diligence on these opportunities. And what we do is provide capital to operators, developers, and explorers, and take a royalty back in return. And what a royalty is, is a percentage of the top line of the revenue. So we're not exposed to operating costs and capital costs at the mine. Say those are the responsibility of the operators, the people that actually own the mines, we Mm -hmm. provide capital for them to build and operate and expand their mines and take a royalty back in return. So it's quite a unique value proposition. You get the exposure to the gold price, but you insulate yourself from cost inflation. Whereas if you're an operator and you buy you know Barrick or Newmont, some of the biggest operating gold companies in the world, you're very much exposed to operating costs and capital cost inflation within their portfolio, not in our case. In fact, we have royalties in some of Barrick's and Newmont's mines uh, in the world, and we get exposure to some of their best operations without being exposed to the inflation that they're vulnerable to, uh, particularly in this point in the inflation cycle. And so it's really the optimum way to play the gold price. It gives you the full upside to the gold price without having to worry about what inflation does to the operating costs and the margins at the mine site.
0: Yeah, yeah. Now, are these mine operators, are they the people that actually own the mines? Um, are these relationships that you've you know, cultivated over decades or you know, do, you, do you do due diligence on, on new businesses or do you really just stick with those old relationships because you, you know and trust them?
2: A combination thereof, I would say the biggest component of the value of our portfolio is with these mature operators that are well capitalized, have a great long history. And I mentioned that we have 400 years of industry experience collectively within our board of management, which gives us two key advantages. One is it gives us a clear eye view of the underlying risk of what we're investing in, because we've been operators and developers as well. We understand the risks inherent in what they're doing, so we can appropriately price it when we're putting capital to work with them. But also what it gives us is uh, unparalleled and, and unmitigated access to virtually anybody in the mining business, uh, because many of us have run senior mining companies. We have those relationships, and that's why we've grown so quickly. We started with only 18 royalties when we IPO'd in March of 2021. Today we have 216 royalties, so we've undergone a, a rapid transformation, rapid growth. And I would attribute that almost entirely to the relationships that our board of management bring to the table, given the collective experience they have within the industry.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's that's awesome. I mean, you can't, you know, in, you know, my business, which is real estate, it's it's all about the sponsors and the people that are running the show, who's operating um, and how you're able to evaluate that and and, and assign some sort of. You know a risk assessment to that you've got to be able to look at the track record the experience and then make a good decision on your investment um and it sounds like that's what you guys have done because you've you've had these relationships for so long you know these folks and even if there are some newer businesses that you are doing some due diligence on you've done it so many times that you can kind of see through you know any kind of smoke and mirrors that they might put up
2: yeah, precisely. And and if you think about it, mining is a real estate business as well. We happen to own real estate where there's metals in the ground and we're extracting those metals for profit, at least the operators are. And what we're doing is providing a source of capital for those operators that otherwise might not be able to access in the general equity markets or from debt providers or whatnot. We're an alternative source of capital. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, so publicly traded, right? Are there any other kind of private funds or anything that you guys do, or is it really all into this this one venture at this point?
2: We're very much focused on this, and um, and there's lots of room for growth. The industry is underinvested in exploration development over the last decade or so. In fact, gold reserves in the ground are down forty percent from their peak because of the lack of reinvestment in exploration and mine development. That's become an existential risk for the industry. So they're, they're starting to turn their minds to replacing their depleted reserves. They need capital from us to help them do that. So this is a fortuitous time for us to found this company it, recognizing that we are in an inflation cycle that's likely to be quite deeply entrenched for many years to come. We think this is the ideal vehicle uh, to participate in the gold price rally, which we think is inevitable, uh, given the inflation we're experiencing now.
0: So maybe dive into that a little bit deeper, um, as far as you know, tying the inflation to you know the the types of metals that you guys are mining. You know what what is that what is that relationship, and why are you bullish on it?
2: Yeah, for sure. I mean, if you look at the inflation cycle we're experiencing now, it, it there's striking parallels between today and where we were back in the 1970s when we had the last big inflation cycle. You know, we started the 1970s with the US dollar being decoupled from the gold standard. And I would say we had a similar phenomenon after the great financial crisis. Uh, currencies globally became unmoored from any kind of intrinsic value. There was a massive expansion of money supply to deal with what was effectively a, a war, a financial war. Uh, there was a collapse of the financial system. So they were almost literally dropping money from helicopters and continued to do so unabated for a dozen or years or more. We also had an oil embargo back in the 1970s. Today, we have a self-imposed energy embargo. We're not buying Russian products. We had a war back in the 1970s in Vietnam. That's one of the reasons that the US dollar was decoupled from the gold standard. Nixon needed to print money to finance that war. We have a war in Europe today as well. Striking parallels between that cycle and this. We had supply chain disruptions because of the oil embargo in the 70s. We have supply chain disruptions today because of the energy embargo and also because of the COVID crisis. So a lot of parallels, but I'd say the big striking difference between the last inflation cycle and this one is the amount of debt that we have globally. Uh, Back then, debt to GDP was only 100%. Today, it's 350%. So three and a half times the amount of debt per capita. So back in the 70s, when Paul Volcker came in to run the Federal Reserve, he had a lot more latitude to raise interest rates to tame inflation. Today, there's very limited scope for central banks to do that because it would bankrupt governments. US debt service, for example, in the last 18 months has more than doubled to over a trillion dollars a year. That's one out of every $7 of tax revenue generated by the federal government in the US. If the interest rate went up another couple hundred basis points, that would double again. It's unsustainable. And so there's very limited scope for really central banks to really deal with inflation seriously. They're not going to raise interest rates above the headline inflation number. That's necessarily what you have to do to tame inflation. So, when you look at the fact that money supply is likely to continue to expand, interest rates will continue to dive deeper and deeper into negative territory on a real basis. That's hugely bullish for gold. Gold prices and real interest rates have a strong negative correlation. And as real interest rates go down, the gold price goes up. It's an indicator of inflation because as interest rates go down on a real basis, it inflames inflation and gold is the one currency you can't print. Every other currency is being printed with reckless abandon. There's a very finite quantity of gold on the earth's surface. It's very difficult to produce. So we can't manipulate the supply like fiat currencies are being manipulated. And that's why uh, in in an insidious environment that inflation engenders, you want to be in gold to protect your savings.
0: Makes sense, makes sense. And what are what are some of the other ways that people can in, um, invest in gold if, if they want some exposure to gold? I mean, you know, your company is, is publicly traded. You can buy you know stocks in, in that, um, which is directly tied to gold price to a certain extent. Um, are there you know other ways to invest in gold if you wanted to, to hedge your bets here?
2: Well, you can buy the physical quite readily. You could buy coins, you could buy bars, you know, go to a bank with your driver's license. You have to store it, obviously. Um, you can buy a physically-backed ETF. For example, on the NYC, uh, there's a, a physically-backed ETF called the GLD. Uh, that's the trading symbol. And that's backed physically by gold held at the Bank of New York in a vault. So you have the security of that. And that's maybe a, a slightly more efficient way to own physical gold than buying it yourself and finding a place to store it. But when you buy physical gold, and I, I have a percentage of my my own portfolio on physical gold, I, think, I believe in it. Uh, But the problem is that physical gold doesn't grow. And by buying a mining equity, for example, like Gold Royalty Corp., you get the benefit of the expiration upside that our operating partners deliver. So when they're drilling out their deposits, they grow the, the amount of reserves in the ground, and we get exposure to that without actually having to contribute to their expiration budgets. We own our royalties outright. We never have to put another dime into them. So as our operating partners, the guys that actually own the mines, explore and optimize their deposits, and grow them geologically, we get the benefit of that upside without having to pay for it. That's the difference between owning a royalty company, and owning the physical gold. You get that upside and expiration, but again, you're protected from inflation. So you could buy an operating company like Newmont, which is the biggest in the world. It's very liquid, but what it has, as I said earlier on, is inflation risk. You know, they have operating costs they have to manage, they have capital expenditures they have to manage, and they're inflating at double digit rates. We have no inflation in our business. Uh, we have eight full time employees. We have virtually no g and and every dollar revenue growth. And we have 60 percent compounded annual growth in our revenue per year falls right to the bottom line because we don't have variable costs. And that's the beauty of our model. It's all of the upside. From the gold price all the upside from the expiration of our operating partners with none of the inflation risk
0: attorneys doctors passive income seekers i'm talking to you i remember investing in my first passive real estate deal the anxiety the uncertainty of what i didn't know and what i had never done before it was a lot of money being wired to someone i barely knew now it all worked out but that's not always the case I would have never invested in that same deal today, now that I have the knowledge and the confidence to know how to invest intelligently. And now with a combination of uncertainty and a flood of newbie sponsors in the market, how do you find the true experts that will perform and make your investment successful? For those of you out there looking to learn how to invest passively in syndications, we've been behind the scenes working on something very special. You don't have time to go through a six month course or to try to make a program designed for deal sponsors work for you. You wanna be a passive investor, focus on your career and your family, but add cash flowing appreciating commercial real estate investments to your portfolio. So you can practice when you want to and not because you have to. We've built a powerful passive investor program designed to teach you everything you need to know, but nothing that you don't. It's a four week program, but if you really wanna make moves, It can be completed in just a few days with ongoing support as you make your investment decisions passive income pro is enrolling now with a very limited number of seats for each cohort so you can get the hands-on attention that you need go to passiveincomepro.io to learn more yeah there's you've kind of identified a dichotomy there right like people think of even if you're investing in physical gold i think people think of that as investing but it's more of kind of a it's a storage of value, right? I mean, it's almost like okay, well, if I'm if I'm I'm not really investing because I'm just I'm buying something. I mean, you can it's almost like saving, right? Like you can put ten thousand um, dollars in a savings account, and the value of that ten thousand dollars actually goes up and down with inflation, um, similar to you know physical gold, as opposed to investing in a company um, that spits off dividends and it still has exposure to. Um, you know, the physical gold price is actually more more akin to an investment.
2: Yeah, yeah. So it's there to protect your capital. Um, and if you have a view on the commodity, as I articulated a little earlier on, um, you'll benefit from the upside that comes from that. It's a very cyclical business. And what drives the gold price uh, upwards, uh, what drives the positive cycle in gold is declining real interest rates. Real interest rates is just simple arithmetic. It's the nominal rate of interest, less inflation. And if you think inflation is going to exceed interest rates, they're going to dive deeper into negative territory. It basically removes the operating uh, sorry, excuse, me, the opportunity cost of owning gold. Gold is a monetary instrument that yields zero, but treasuries these days are yielding negative on a real basis because the inflation rate exceeds uh, the nominal rate of interest.
0: Right, All right. Um, I think people might be thinking, you know, what what are the risks here? Um, you know, the first thing that comes to, to my mind are, especially nowadays, the way that everything is nowadays. You know, everything's out there, and, and people are, you know, largely concerned about environment when they hear mining. I'm from West Virginia, so we're used to mining coal. We don't even do it anymore. People don't realize that you can't even do it anymore. It's the the emissions are so bad. I won't say it's so bad, but it's it's past a point of acceptance that you know, we, we can't even do it anymore. So, you know, tons of people are out of jobs in West Virginia. Um, similarly, when you think of mining, you think of bad for the environment. How, how are you kind of dealing with that and, and kind of, you know, that, that voice that's out there?
2: Well, one of the mines that I built when I was running gold corp, uh, was the first zero emission mine ever. Um, it was an all electric underground mine, electric equipment. Um, and so we drove emissions down to zero. We've driven down our water consumption, uh, down significantly as well. So the carbon footprint and the water footprint of of new operations has declined dramatically. Uh, Mine operators, particularly the larger capital capitalized ones are very, very responsible operators. Uh, Coal, you know, its end use is a very significant source of carbon emission. That's certainly not the case with gold or copper. Um, In in the case of copper, for example, it's used in electric vehicles. Uh, Electric vehicles have three times the amount of copper that a traditional internal combustion engine do. So we need metals in order to decarbonize our economy, particularly copper, um, lithium, and so on. And I would say gold, uh, while it doesn't have the industrial utility that copper does, is very, very important because a means of trading currency is extremely important to society, and that's what gold provides. Gotcha.
0: So do you see any governmental risk as far as even in the U.S. or, you know, Canada? You had mentioned Canada as well. um, Are you seeing any sort of governmental risks there?
2: No, you know, I would say that in the jurisdictions that we own, the vast majority of our royalties by value and number, uh, these are jurisdictions that are used to having mining. Uh, They're fundamental to their economies. And that's why the legal framework, the permitting framework is so rational, predictable, and that's why we like to be in those jurisdictions. So we have that kind of predictability in our revenue, and our returns that may be absent in the developing economy where they don't have the legal framework or the permitting framework required to get new mine operations up and running.
0: Yeah, yeah. And there's probably some, you know, specific state governments that don't love it, right? Like, I don't know, but I would guess California. I live in California now. <laughs> we, don't, we don't like anything like that, so... You stay away from places like that, I, I, I assume.
2: Yeah, look, I, I would say that there's a bit of a dichotomy there in that, you know, California is driving some of the most stringent um, decarbonization standards, you know, with electrical uh, vehicle fleets and like. But they also have to understand in order to do that, they need copious amounts of metal. There's clearly a dichotomy between what many states are hoping to achieve in terms of decarbonization objectives. You know, California set some of the most stringent objectives for decarbonizing and electrifying their vehicle fleets. But what they have to realize is they need the supply chain to do that. They need metals. They need the mining sector to be robust and provide the metals necessary. Um, I think, as I mentioned earlier on, the average electric vehicle uses three times the amount of copper that an internal combustion engine uses. That's about five or 600 pounds of copper per vehicle. Because of the electric electrical uh, grid within those electric vehicles, it's a lot of copper consumption. So we need a, a mining industry to be robust. We need new mines to be developed. I, it's hard for me to imagine where all of this additional copper is going to come from to decarbonize uh, the world's uh, the world's vehicle fleets and to electrify our economies to the extent required to really drive down our carbon emissions. There just isn't enough development and exploration being done. And in fact, from discovery to first production in any mine, whether it's precious metal or base metal, typically is 15 to 20 years. It's a very long lead time. It's very capital intensive, very high barriers of entry uh, into the industry. So you can't, it's hard to imagine where all of this copper uh, and really metal supply generally is going to come from to decarbonize uh, the global economy. We need mining to be successful in order to do that.
0: Right, right. There's a there's a push shove, right. And, you know, just look, I mean, all over the world, but just looking at California, I think they're expecting other states to, to you know, deal with the mining and deal with with those. And then they're going to benefit from it. I think that's what they're trying to do. I don't know if it's going to work out for them or not.
2: <laughs> yeah, I mean, for, fortunately for them, uh, the mining practices globally, particularly among the largest cap companies in the world is you know second to none. It's never been better in terms of decarbonizing the footprint um, at the mine site and also electrifying fleets and r- drying down water consumption. So mining operators, particularly the larger cap ones, the ones that have the financial wherewithal and technical capacity to do so, are really doing an exceptional job of reducing the footprint the environmental footprint of mines
0: makes sense makes sense so just looking at it you know i'm I'm looking at it from a listener and investor perspective you know i guess maybe just dive in a little bit more as far as where you see it long term why is why is gold i know we talked about a little bit but you know more so why is gold you know a a worthwhile and investment for savvy investors i mean with with all the things that are going on um in the short term and also in in the long term i know we're talking about you know inflation and all that, because that's, that's the hot topic right now. But let's say 5, 10, 15 years from now, why is gold still going to be there? Why is it still going to be significant?
2: Well, first off, it's extremely scarce. Uh, there's a very small amount of gold on the Earth's surface. It's about 200,000 metric tons. And to give you a visual of what that looks like, it's basically one Olympic-sized swimming pool. It's, it's tiny. That's all the gold that's been mined since the beginning of time. And it's sitting in central bank wow. vaults, sitting around people's fingers and wrists and, and necks and whatnot. So it's a very finite quantity. And we're only adding as an industry about 2% the global supply per year because the industry is capital constrained. It's constrained from the standpoint of underinvestment and exploration. We just haven't been replacing the reserves we've been depleting as an industry. And as a result, reserves in the ground are down 40% from their peak uh, about a dozen years ago. And so we're seeing de- declining supply, not increasing supply, even as the gold price goes up. So there's an inelasticity of supply to price. So the dynamics are all positive from a supply standpoint. The other side is on the demand side. Um, and as money supply continues to be expanded, fiat currencies continue to be printed. And there's a global coordinated effort by all the central banks globally to do that. And we saw that recently with the financial crisis we experienced just a couple of months ago. With some very major banks collapsing is we saw a massive amount of liquidity introduced into the system by central banks globally. So They're continuing to expand money supply. They have no respect for their underlying fiat currency. They will print it when they need to and they'll provide it in whatever supply they need to in order to stave off risk and financial ruin and a run on banks. What that tells you is they really have no respect for the intrinsic value of their currency because it can be printed with reckless abandon. That's not the case for gold. And that's why gold has been the ultimate currency for 4,000 years, is it can't be manipulated. It can't be printed. You can't introduce new supply into the system, given how difficult it is to, to build new mines, to get the social license, to get the permits, to get the capital. There is just isn't going to be a supply side response to even uh, an escalating gold price. That's why we're saying that gold is likely to, to exceed $3,000 an ounce in this cycle. If you look at how gold performed in the last big inflation cycle in the 70s and 80s, gold peaked at about $850 an ounce in the early 1980s. If you inflation adjust that to today's dollars, that will be over $3,000 an ounce. And as I articulated earlier on, this inflationary cycle has a potential to be far worse than the one we experienced in the 70s because of the amount of debt that we have globally uh, in our economy.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. And David, just to make this clear, is it, gold is not like diamonds, where somebody's just sitting on all these diamonds and controlling the supply side, right? David, you're not you're not sitting on uh, you know thousands and thousands and thousands of pounds of gold and, and letting people you know only letting a little bit out of, at, a, at a time. <laughs>
2: <laughs> no, the biggest the biggest consumers are gold are individuals on the jewelry side, and there's social yeah. and cultural reasons for doing that, for example, in India and China, and then central banks. And the central banks do it because what they're trying to do is protect back their paper currencies with as much physical as possible. China, for example, is the biggest producer of gold as a country in the world, but it's also the biggest consumer of gold. It consumes everything it produces, and it's the biggest importer of gold. They recognize the value of having central bank reserves to back intrinsically the value of their fiat currency and they're diversifying the gold as quickly as they possibly can in order to get a weighting equivalent to what the U.S. government has. For example, the U.S. still has the biggest uh, store of gold reserves in the world. China is a shadow of that. It's a fraction of what the U.S. has. Russia is diversifying into gold as quickly as possible. These countries that are exporting energy, exporting manufactured goods, are dealing with an avalanche of foreign currency proceeds. They're diversifying into hard assets, and namely physical gold, as quickly as possible because they understand the intrinsic value of having gold within their central bank reserves. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. All right, David, before we jump into the Freedom Four, do you have one last golden nugget for our listeners?
2: Well, look, as I said earlier on, the best way to play gold, in my view, is in the royalty business, particularly in this inflationary environment. And Gold Royalty Corp provides you a very diversified portfolio of over 200 royalties in the Americas, 60% compounded annual growth in our revenues over the next five years, and a dividend yield approaching 1.8%. So we have a free cash flowing business, one that's going to grow in free cash flow and give us a potential to increase our dividend over time and provides you that optimum protection from inflation while giving you full upside to the gold price.
0: Awesome, awesome. All right, let's jump into the Freedom Four.
2: It's time for the Freedom Four.
0: What's the best thing you do to keep your mind and body healthy?
2: Oh, you know what? I'm a big cyclist. Uh, I live in Vancouver, and we have a lot of mountains here, so I do a lot of cycling up the mountains. Awesome, awesome.
0: With all your success, what is one limiting belief that you've crushed
2: along the way, and how did you get past it? Well, it's always one of confidence and and, uh, having the confidence in your your vision, both for your company and yourself. And that just requires systematically working towards that vision and objective and not letting anybody dissuade you from achieving it.
0: Love that. Love that. What's one actionable step our listeners
2: can do right now to start creating more freedom? Well, actually owning gold. Uh, Gold gives you freedom (laughs) from... From you know, basically the uh, insidious inflation uh, and the fact that it, what it does to eat away at your savings and capital, um, and t- gives you a, free f- frees you from the uh, obligation of of your government. You know what a what a dollar a U.S. dollar gives you is a promise from the U.S. government to honor the value of that, but they're continually undermining the value of that every day. So owning gold gives you freedom because it's nobody's obligation, nobody's promise. And it's recognized as a currency on every in every country on the planet. And every individual in the world understands the intrinsic value of gold. That's not true for any of our fiat currencies or for cryptocurrencies. Yeah, yeah.
0: has passive income or alternative investing made your life better?
2: Um, well, look, I think alternative investing is what I've done in the mining space for over 30 years. And that's created tremendous value societally. Um, Virtually every mine that we built has provided opportunities for communities in some of the most uh, remote areas of the world where there was very little economic activity. And there's tremendous societal benefit from producing metals. Um, In the case of base metals, it has incredible industrial application, particularly for decarbonizing our economy. And precious metals has always provided us the ability to be able to trade. And that's really what creates a society, the ability to trade with each other. And gold is the one currency that everybody recognizes the intrinsic value of. Yeah. Yeah.
0: All right, David. This has been incredible, man. Like I, I learned so much about something I don't know a ton about, and you are a true expert. I mean, wow. That was awesome, <laughs> man. Um, where can our listeners find out more
2: about you? Well, we're on goldroyalty.com, and our trading symbol is Groy G-R-Y on the NYC American. All right. Sounds good,
0: man. Appreciate your time. Thanks, Seth. All right, brother david garofalo what an incredible interview um i know that i learned a ton about investing in metals and where it fits into in the overall economy where it fits in in the short term and the long term and why and how it could be a great investment for you and for myself Um, david is an expert among experts to say the least Um, incredibly knowledgeable, incredibly insightful. And we thank him again for coming on the show today. All right, folks, until next time, enjoy the journey.
1: Thank you for listening to the Passive Income Attorney Podcast with Seth Bradley. Do you want more ideas on how to generate multiple streams of passive income? Then jump over to PassiveIncomeAttorney.com for show notes and resources. Then apply for the private Facebook community, by searching for the Passive Income Attorney on Facebook. And we'll see you on the next episode.